I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Episode 32 of the Pro Wrestling Index right here on the Anfield Index Podcast Network. We have a packed show this week, and we are going to make it move as quickly as SmackDown Live. Oh, wait. I mean, as quickly as Monday Night Raw, which was an hour longer than SmackDown Live, but seemed to move quicker, in my humble opinion. I'm your host, Matt Topolsky, joined, as always, by my co-commentating colleague from across the pond, Mo Chatra. Mo, we've got Battleground, Raw, SmackDown and a brand new era in WWE to cover this week on the show. Indeed, we have Matt Toposki. So much to talk about. So eventful the last few days. Historic almost um, where the WWE is concerned. It really is a new era. So much that's changed. Um, so much to cover. So let's get stuck in. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get started right now with WWE Battleground, which took place this past Sunday on the WWE Network. Some of the highlights that stood out to me, why don't we start with the elephant in the room? Uh, let's just get right into it. Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. What a match. In my opinion, the best match these two have had since they've been in WWE or NXT, for that matter. I was really pleased with the outcome because I accurately predicted it right here on the show last week. <laughs> Indeed you did, and I predicted it wrong. Um, I, I thought Kevin Owens would win. I thought he should win. And the reason I felt he should win is because I feel that he needs to start moving up into that world title reckoning or the universal title as it's known for Raw. Uh, and obviously we'll come on to that later on. Um, but clearly that wasn't the case. Sami Zayn emerged victorious in, I agree, their best match together, or indeed their best match against any opponent full stop um, since both arrived in the WWE. And um, it really was quite incredible. And the best thing about it was there was no bells and whistles, smokes and mirrors. It was just a pure, simple wrestling match. Um, but they told a fantastic story. And they showed that, you know, they clearly are one of you know to the elite workers in the whole of the business because the level of work they produced was just beyond what 99% of wrestlers in the wrestling business can do so all kudos to them and even though Kevin Owens lost 
in my eyes, he was still a winner because, um, you know, with a performance like that, you just couldn't help but be impressed. And uh, he didn't do his heart, his career any harm whatsoever. No, I, I no doubt about it. And, um, you know, one of the things, the, I guess the first thing I thought of when comparing uh, the rivalry that these two have with each other and this match specifically, uh, the physicality and the work rate in this reminded me a lot of an intercontinental championship matchup between Mr. Perfect and Bret Hart. Uh, I mean, it really had that feeling. And that's what I've said a couple of times. I feel like Sami Zayn has that Bret Hart-esque work rate in him where he's never going to be a body guy for you. Um, he's never going to have the look, per se, that Vince may want. But I think he's definitely somebody who could emerge as a real underdog top babyface in the company and could go that route in the future, especially with this new era, this new generation or whatever you want to call it that we're seeing right now. Um, where the ball is being handed to some of the younger guys, Finn Balor being one of them we'll talk about later. Uh, Sami Zayn could definitely be in the in the picture in the future. Absolutely, I agree totally. Um, you know, he really has not only a fantastic um, in-ring ability, but he's also got this something about him, this charisma that helps him to connect. Um, you know, he's got this ordinary kind of um, factor to him. He's not a larger-than-life character. But as Eric Bischoff talked about very recently on the Jim Ross podcast, you know, he, he's somebody that people feel they can connect to. He's got this um, ability to relate and fans in turn can relate to him quite easily. He seems like, you know, that that kind of guy. And that's part of the reason why Daniel Bryan was so successful in getting over. Um, and, you know, Sami Zayn is very much of that mold. And uh, I think he'll have a long, very successful career in the WWE as a result of that. So what happens to Kevin Owens right now? I mean, how much does this loss by Kevin Owens hurt him going forward? I don't think it will hurt him a great deal, to be honest. I mean, he's had some pretty disappointing losses over the last nine months, times at which we thought, right, a big win here can really propel him into world title reckoning. And yet again, it didn't quite happen. Um, and going into SummerSlam now, I look around and I'm thinking, well, I don't see any of the big marquee matches for that show featuring Kevin Owens. So I guess that what we'll have to see is, you know, the likes of Finn Balor um, take the spotlight instead of Kevin Owens. But I think it's more a question of when, Ron, if Kevin Owens' time um, in terms of world title run and the world title feud will come. Sorry, I keep saying world title. It's the universal title for Raw. Universal championship. Get it right, Mo. I, uh, yeah. Absolutely terrible from me. Um, I should know better. It's the Universal Championship. How can I forget? Um, stolen from World Wrestling Council and Carlos Colon. So I'm hoping they uh, pay him uh, super royalties for using that moniker. But uh, yes, yes. I mean, he will be king of the universe at some point in the future. I've got no doubt about that whatsoever. All right. Well, let's move on and talk about the biggest hug in sports entertainment history. Bailey ended up being the mystery tag team partner for Sasha Banks. And what a reception for Bailey in this one. A fun match as well. Um, it appears as if this will be a one-off, however, and Bailey will be headed back to NXT for how long, we don't know. Uh, but Bailey was the, the, the mystery tag team partner in this matchup, and it provided uh, a great moment for the fans uh, at Battleground. It did. I mean, I said on Twitter that, you know, I've been following this business for more years than I care to mention. Uh, but, you know, even for this, 
kind of seasoned, jaded fan, um, it brought a tear to my eye, um, just the reaction and the emotion of the moment. So that was really great to see. And um, she got over like Rover with the crowd. It was, um, you know, not not a great match, of course. Um, you know, it was a fairly short match, only about eight to nine minutes. But, uh, you know, it, it was just great to see her out there in front of that mainstream WWE audience. And, uh, you know, once again, um, it's more a question of when, Ron, if she'll come up to the main roster. I think when they do bring her up, it will be made into a special occasion and a special event. And uh, I look forward to seeing that. Um, but I think the other part of it also is, um, you know, Triple H, I think, is quite protective of NXT. And uh, I don't think he wants to lose too many of his top NXT stars all at once um, to Raw and SmackDown. So I think, uh, you know, Bailey, if anything's uh, partly a victim to that. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure her time will come. You know, she's just too talented to keep within NXT anymore. Um, you know, whether it's six weeks or six months away, um, certainly by WrestleMania, I'm sure she'll be a regular on the re main roster. Yeah, I sure hope so, because um, she deserves the opportunity, uh, whether she'll transition to the main roster full time and be a force or not. Uh, remains to be seen. We'll have to see what happens there. But I have full confidence that Bailey can come in and help shake up the women's division. Um, this is a tweet that came out after the Wyatt family successfully defeated the New Day. One last triumphant victory for the unit known as the Wyatt family. Hashtag WWE Battleground. That was from WWE's official Twitter account, basically confirming that the brand split has brought an end to the Wyatts. So... We have the lone wolf, Bray Wyatt, who will now be on SmackDown. We have Braun Strowman, who is emerging as a monster uh, in his own right on WWE Raw. Uh, I did not get what I had hoped, which was the Wyatt family turning on Bray Wyatt. Uh, but this is the direction that they're going in right now. Uh, how do you think this was handled by WWE? I thought it was handled reasonably well. I think they kept their options open in terms of not turning um, the whites against one another so that if, you know, they draft um, once again across Raw and SmackDown and the possibility is there to reunite the white family, then, you know, that door is open. So I thought, you know, it was fine for them to leave it open. And, uh, you know, given that they're going to be on different brands, it wouldn't make much sense, for example, for Braun Strowman and uh, Bray Wyatt to be um, kicking off post-match. So so that was fine from my perspective. But, uh, yeah, it, it was a really good performance um, you know, from the, these guys. And, uh, you know, it was, it was good to see them go out on a winning note. And, uh, you know, it, it was just a shame in a way that um, – you no, know, they're not sticking around because, uh, you know, if, if anything, the New Day could do with dropping those titles. They've had them for quite a while. And, you know, I don't think, you know, they're a stale act, but certainly the tag team division is in need of um, some revitalization and uh, having new champions would certainly have helped. And the Whites, I think, could have been fine tag team champions. Well, speaking of going in a new direction here, let's talk about the club, which Machine Gun Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows now find themselves on WWE Raw. AJ Styles, the proprietor of Beat Up John Cena, now finds himself on SmackDown. Cena gets the pin alongside Enzo and Cass, and they are victorious at WWE Battleground. What did you think of the match, Mo? And in addition to that, how do you think the other two members of the club will now fare on Raw? 
Well, I thought it was a really good match. It was actually better than I expected. It was, uh, you know, all stock, you know, all action rather than non-stop um, fanfare from beginning to end. Uh, really hot six-man contest, and uh, you know, I think they um, sent out a tweet. I don't know if it was AJ Styles or Gallows or Anderson that you know, they're actually not going to be splitting up. They'll be growing. So there's a bit of a hint there that they could be adding to their ranks um, whilst Gallows and Anderson are on Raw, or perhaps AJ Styles might find himself with um, an additional member or two um, for the club on the SmackDown side. So so that was kind of interesting how they left that and teased that possibility. Um, but before the match, though, I thought Enzo Amore's promo was out of this world. It was so good. It was... I mean, I, I compared him to The Rock, actually, because, I mean, The Rock is arguably the best promo in the history of the company, and we've never had somebody who's come to that kind of level, so comfortable on the mic, so good and so effortless the way he just gets his lines across. Uh, but that's exactly what Enzo was, and he had that whole crowd, even John Cena, in the palm of his hand. And, you know, everyone was in awe. Even Cena, uh, you know, even Cass had to say, you know, give this man a round of applause because it was so good. Something, Mo, it's like he says, you can't teach that. You can't teach charisma. This guy is born with natural charisma. He is oozing it. This guy is going to be a huge star in WWE if they get out of his way and just let him do his thing. Oh, totally, yeah. I mean, the only shame is that because of Vince McMahon's around, um, because, you know, Enzo's a smaller guy and he hasn't got a John Cena-type physique, um, it might mean that he'll never become the face of the company. But, um, you know, under a different type of regime, um, that kind of charisma, that kind of talking ability would not hold him back um with you know any kind of perceived limitations about his physique or look, um, and he'd go right to the top. Um, but yeah, I mean, this act is potentially going to be huge. I mean, even transcending um, the WWE audience because they are so unique and they are so entertaining and so charismatic that even people who are not into the WWE, um, I think, would tune in just to see these guys um, say that you know do their thing on the microphone and. Uh, no, I think they need to bring these guys along, protect them, because they've got something very special here, and I hope they don't mess it up and allow Enzo and Big Cass to, you know, really establish themselves because, you know, they could be a huge asset for the WWE. Yeah, I agree 100%. I don't want to skip around too much, but I do want to bring this up because uh, one of the things that stood out to me on SmackDown Live was that Carmella made her debut. And um, she seems like a fish out of water over there. I really don't understand why she, that why WWE split her up from them to begin with. It really doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense for me, and I don't think it helps her. Um, and I think her being with Enzo and Cass will just add even more uh, to the the dynamic and the entertainment that they bring to the table. Do you disagree with me? Oh, no, totally agree. Um, when those three were together on NXT, um, they were just fantastic. You know, the chemistry was there. Um, their roles were so well-defined, and it just worked. It clicked, and I totally agree. On her own, she really has um, far less presence without um, Enzo and Big Cass by her side, and uh, we saw that in the crowd reactions. I mean, she got quite a lukewarm reaction, if anything, on SmackDown, and certainly didn't get the kind of reaction that her former 
you know, partners in crime have been getting um, on on Raw and on the bigger shows in the last couple of months. So, you know, I think she she might well struggle actually. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is um, she's on her own. Like I said, she's a fish out of water over there, and um, she's kind of in a sink or swim scenario, but it seems like they've already thrown a few rocks on top of her life vest. So uh, <laughs> we'll see how it pans out. We'll get into more SmackDown here in a minute, but let's get to the main event. Triple threat, WWE title up for grabs. Uh, this is the title that is now exclusive to SmackDown. That's what they keep telling us, which, by the way, they call it four different things on SmackDown as well. Uh, yep. But Dean Ambrose emerges victorious and gets the clean pinfall with dirty deeds on Roman Reigns to retain the WWE Championship. So many things to say about this and so many questions. So here's a few. Was this the right decision by WWE? Were you surprised that they decided to stick with Dean Ambrose having the title around his waist? And most of all, are you surprised that Roman did the honors once again, Mo? <laughs> well, I think this was actually a match I, I believe I got right in my predictions. I think I did predict that Dean Ambrose would retain the title and carry the belt over to SmackDown, um, which obviously they commented on Raw with uh, Mick Foley and Stephanie McMahon is something that hadn't happened in the history of Raw. Um, but obviously they decided to go in that direction, and that's something I called last week. So... You know, in that regard, I wasn't surprised because I did expect them to do something like that. Um, but um, perhaps uh, Roman, you know, taking the brunt of the, uh, you know, finishing sequence of the contest and um, once again laying down for Ambrose was a surprise. And, um, you know, it, it clearly seemed to suggest that the company is losing faith or has lost faith in him. Or they've decided to teach him a lesson, um, one or the other. But, uh, yeah, it certainly was um, quite noticeable given the stat you produced last week that, you know, he hadn't had a clean pinfall loss in, what, four years or so? And certainly since his NXT days. Um, and, now, the, and now after Monday Night Raw, he's had three. Well, absolutely. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's something he hasn't really been used or accustomed to. And, uh, you know, he's, um, you know, getting familiar with staring up at the lights on a nightly basis now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the match itself was, you know, really, really good. And, uh, you know, it was really well put together, as you'd expect from these three, all very talented guys in their own right. And, um, you know, it's interesting to see that, um, you know, Roman Reigns is really gone from being almost the face of the company uh, to just another guy. And I'm not really sure how they're going to bring him back because clearly the fans are no more into him than they were. If anything, they're even more against him than they were before his 30-day um, suspension. And uh, the WWE seems unwilling to pull the trigger on him uh, in terms of turning him full-blown heel. So are they going to try and persist with trying to turn him face, which I think is an impossible task, or are they at last going to accept defeat and say, okay, there's just no way of making this work until we turn him heel, and then maybe we can gradually rebuild him and turn him face in the future. But um, Yeah, I mean, I, you know what? And we, we talked about that extensively uh, on the two-part episode of the show last week. If anybody missed it, you can go back and look at the snapshot of that. Um, and and, and I, I still stand behind the idea that WWE is going to persist with trying to make Roman Reigns 
the future face of the company. And the reason why I think they haven't lost faith in him is because they haven't gone in the direction of the heel turn yet. Uh, because they, they, they will, they refuse to give this up. They refuse to give up on the idea that Roman Reigns can be a babyface banner guy for WWE and be the John Cena 2.0, if you will. And so because of that, that's why they haven't pulled the trigger uh, on the heel turn yet. And instead, what I fear they're doing is they're building a, quote, short-term uh, redemption story, end quote, wherein that Roman Reigns has gone through some stuff and um, – and and Roman's, you know, now now he's had a string of losses and all these things. How does Roman get his confidence back? You know, it's all about Roman and the redemption story. When in fact, nobody really gives a damn about that. No one could care less in that audience about whether or not Roman Reigns redeems himself. Probably about twenty percent of the audience, which which are the kids or the women, are the ones that want to see Roman Reigns quote redeem himself as a babyface. What I'd like to see, and I think what most of the audience would like to see, is Roman Reigns embrace his natural tendencies, for Roman Reigns to embrace the hate, for Roman Reigns to be authentic. If you're standing in an arena, night in and night out, and you have 20,000 people booing you and telling you to go to hell, are you going to continue to show up with a smile on your face? No, you're not. It's not authentic. That's why Roman's not getting over, and WWE is going to persist and this, quote, redemption story, I think, and, and the result's going to be that I think it'll destroy him. I think it will destroy his character because they will they refuse to let this guy be who he really is. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, no, it's something we've talked about at length. And uh, no, unless, somebody, unless somebody budges, whether it's the audience, and I don't think they'll budge, or the WWE themselves, then we'll be stuck in this endless cycle and, um, you know, nothing will change. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's move on to WWE Raw. The new era has begun. Well, hold on. Before I do that, I'm getting ahead of myself. Letter grade for Battleground Mo. What do you think overall of the show? A very solid B+. Um, two you know, great, great matches. A um, couple of other very good matches. And um, you know, a very good storyline advancement. Very, very little that was uh, thumbs down. So, you know, a solid B+, for me. Yeah, I have to agree 100%. And I said on uh, the Your Opinion Doesn't Matter podcast when Brad and I talked about this the other day, I felt the same way. Um, I thought this was one of the better shows they've had this year. Um, there really weren't, there wasn't a lot of dead spots in it. I enjoy just about everything that uh, that happened. Uh, so, you know, great show. Sometimes when you set the bar low, it's easier to clear. And that's what they did mm. Battleground. They did. So, um, all right, well, let's move on to the new era. It began Monday night with WWE Raw, uh, a new look, a new feel. So much about this show that I have to say I really enjoyed. Uh, the subtle differences in the camera shots. We talked about this for months on this show, Mo, uh, about if they made some changes uh, to the cinematography, the presentation of the show, the signature at the beginning of the show, the entrance theme, um, the, the way the show was shot and the way that it looks that um, this could really change the dynamic of this show. The commentary table uh, has been put back to where it was in the early 2000s. Um, it has that nitro shot almost. Uh, so there are a lot of different things that changed about this show. But the biggest thing for me was the booking of this show. This was the fastest three-hour Raw I can ever remember. Um, I absolutely loved this show. I thought it was executed almost to perfection. What say you? I could not disagree. It was really, really good. Uh, one of the 
I'd go so far as to say it was one of the all-time great roars, actually, in the 23-plus year history of the show. Great. You know, it was it was good because they they obviously had a lot to accomplish with this show. Um, they had to get new stars over. They need to create the new identity and get that over. Um, they also wanted to experiment as well, and that was quite clear. Uh, if you looked at the show, they had several quite long matches and several very short matches, and that's something they've not done uh, for a long, long time. Uh, you know, we have had the occasional squash match, but, you know, we had, what, three or four pretty much squash-type matches on this show, and, uh, you know, that, that was, in a way, a bit of a risk for them to do that because... You know, this audience isn't used to seeing, you know, those types of short matches with no-name bums. But, you know, that that actually worked really well because, um, you know, it allowed, you know, for example, Braun Strowman to come across like even more of a monster than he would against somebody who might put up a bit of a fight. And they couldn't have chosen a better, you know, uh, loser-looking guy than James Ellsworth, who just, you know, he had no jawline. And uh, (laughs) this guy, I was looking at him and I said, this looks like, this looks like Ellen DeGeneres with a goatee after her face was <laughs> run over by a truck. Uh, I mean, this this guy, this guy looked mortified, and they allowed Braun Strowman to tear him limb from limb. And I got to tell you, I loved every moment of it. Again, what have we talked about on this show? Enhancement talent. We finally saw some of it. And for some of the fans who were too young to remember back in the day when WWE would do this almost all the time, if you haven't seen it before, it's new to you, and it worked. Yeah, absolutely it did. You know, and, and they, this is the kind of thing that they need to be doing a bit more of because you know, they can easily find lots of great enhancement talent or jobbers, if you want to call them that, um, all around who'd love to get onto TV um, because it'll be great exposure for them. You know, even if it means they go out there for only 30 seconds and get destroyed, you know, they're willing to, there's plenty, hundreds if not thousands of people that are willing to get – um, you know, into that kind of spot and take that opportunity. And, you know, it allows um, the WWE stars to come across like even greater stars. So, I mean, it, it's something that they perhaps don't want to be filling a whole three-hour raw full of um, in terms of squash matches. But, um, you know, certainly having more than they normally do um, uh, can work very well. And we saw that on uh, Raw this past week. So so that was really good to see. Yeah, and they made it made Braun Strowman look like a monster. And it made Nia Jax look like a real threat as well. By the way, if anybody knows how I can get in touch with Britt Baker, let me know because I would be <laughs> to help her recover from that beating. But um, Nia Jax made her Raw debut. She was impressive as well, Mo. She was, yeah. I mean, again, they booked her really well. I actually preferred how they introduced her here to how she had been used over in NXT where, you know, I, I didn't really feel they were getting over the fact, getting her over as somebody who's a, kind of a, a she monster, you know, who's much bigger than your Baileys and Askers and all the rest of them and can use her size to her advantage. This was very much about her, you know, uh, everyone emphasizing the fact that, you know, she's a big girl and, you know, she can really be a dominant force um, in the women's division on Raw. Um, so they 
they did that to perfection in um, having it come out and squash Brit break Brit Baker even um, within just over a minute was absolutely the right thing to do. And you know, again, it's, it's the kind of stuff that you know they can be doing for a few weeks more um, to get her over. And so by the time you know they're ready to match her up against one of the bigger names, then um, you know there'll be even more interest because they would have seen this indestructible Nia Jax or Nia Jax, um, you know, destroying um, women left, right, and center. Yeah, and you know what? It presents a threat, a big threat down the road for the brand new WWE Women's Champion, Sasha Banks versus Charlotte with the women's title up for grabs on Raw. Some would some would say it's a risky proposition to go ahead and take a moment like this that would otherwise be reserved for one of the big four pay-per-views or what many of us expected, SummerSlam, and have that moment occur on the Raw of the new era. But I actually loved this. I thought it was a fantastic match between these two. The bank statement at the end, Charlotte had that moment where she's standing in the corner and she's telling Sasha, you'll never beat me. Reminded me a lot of the I'm sorry, I love you segment, which was replayed earlier in the night right before HBK took Ric Flair's head off. And then there's her daughter saying, you'll never beat me. And then Sasha Banks puts her away with the bank statement. It was a huge moment. It signified a new era in the women's division. Sasha Banks has arrived. Also, she had that little homage in the the match as well to Eddie Guerrero. I don't know if you caught that or not, where she... Uh, cheated to make Dana Brooke look like she uh, she hit her, and then Dana Brooke was thrown from ringside, and there's Sasha waving to her and saying goodbye. It was great. It was wonderful. Sasha was spectacular. I loved everything about this. Absolutely, and as you know, I'm a big, big, big Sasha fan. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic for me to see. Um, like yourself, I, I expected her to actually win the title at SummerSlam, uh, but I had half feeling as we went into this match that actually they wanted to do something to really make a statement with this Raw um, to have Sasha or at least somebody win a title. And um, you know, it happened to be Sasha, and you know, in the end, it turned out to be a really good match. You know, it had a bit of a slow start. It was quite a long match. Um, the crowd were a bit subdued in the early goings, but you know, as the match started to heat up, then the crowd really started to get into it. And uh, by the end, you know, it, it was it was really, really good, and uh, you know, very reminiscent of some of the matches that these two had um, between each other and against other opponents over in NXT. So, you know, this is what the women's division can bring, and uh, let's let's hope we can see a lot more of it in the weeks, months, and years to come. And look at how far this women's division has come as well because this title change I truly believe will go down as one of the bigger moments in raw history I think when you look back whenever they do their next anniversary I think you could see this moment being one of the moments that's featured I mean certainly we're talking about this being one of the greatest Monday Night Raws of all time this is certainly one of the biggest moments from this show um, so that alone, you, you having two female athletes being able to deliver a moment like that. And then earlier in the show, you had Nia Jax in a match. So you had another women's match in which it actually meant something. Uh, and you were developing and showcasing a brand new talent, uh, on the main roster. Uh, again, it comes back to what I said when we started talking about raw, the booking for this show, I don't think could have been better. And it really didn't feel like there was a dead spot in this thing at all. Um, we got to talk about both of the fatal four-way matches that took place. Why don't we start uh, with the one that opened the show? Um, this featured Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Rusev, and Cesaro. Great matchup. 
Great performance by Finn Balor. Uh, I got to say, though, of all the people that were in this matchup, the one that I was highest on and I continue to be high on is Rusev. Rusev's cut some weight. Rusev's got a really good look. Rusev, I think, could rise once again back to the top and be a real main event heel in WWE. Once again, Matt, I totally agree. Um, yeah, going into the match on paper, you'd have thought Rusev is the weak link. Uh, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, and Cesaro all have great reputations as being super workers. Uh, Rusev less so, but in the match, you know, he hung with all three. And if anything, outperformed them because, um, you know, he, he was on fire. He was able to, um, you know, show some fantastic athletic ability for his size. And it, you're right. I mean, the, the weight that he's dropped, he's dropped a good, you know, 10, 15, maybe even 20 pounds. And that certainly seems to have helped him because uh, he was moving around like a junior heavyweight. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was really impressive to see. And um, again, you know, even in defeat, I'm, I'm sure he's done his career um, you know, wonders because, uh, you know, everyone in the back must have taken notice of that performance. It was really good. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about a, a body guy like that and a guy with that frame. First of all, it's tough to drop weight. Just ask Brock Lesnar about how he dropped it for UFC. Um, <laughs> but uh, for a guy of that size, it's difficult to do. But when you do it and when you're successful at it and you're working at your craft, you become a much more versatile performer. And that's one of the things we're seeing from Rusev. I mean, I've been really pleased with the vignettes and the interviews that he and Lana have given. It's developed his character. It's added another um, another morsel to that character, if you will. And then on top of that, when you have performances like this, you got to look at the guy and say, we have a real athlete and a real star on our hands here. So I was pleased by his performance. Finn Balor, however, moves on. Um, and sets up a big moment later in the night. The other fatal four-way matchup was Roman Reigns, Sami Zayn, Sheamus, and Chris Jericho. Reigns went over on this one uh, to the, the booze of the crowd, obviously, <laughs> uh, but which set up something big later on. Anything stand out to you in this matchup, Mo? Well, I mean, it was a different kind of a match, uh, but I thought in some ways it was equally as good as uh, the opening four-way. And, uh, you know, I, I, I liked it a lot. I mean, Chris Jericho is somebody I've been at points critical of um, in recent months. But, uh, you know, I, I thought he really, you know, pulled his weight here and had one of his best performances of 2016. Uh, I was really impressed with what he was able to do. Um, Seamus, um, perhaps less so. Uh, you know, I, I did really see what perhaps he had. Um, taking part in this match, I guess because he is one of the more established names on the roster, um, they felt that he needed to be in there. Sami Zayn, as usual, was really good. You know, really was the glue for this match, and you know, kept it together. And you know, Roman Reigns is somebody, despite all the criticism of him, um, you know, from bell to bell, um, he he often delivers. You know, it's very rare to see him in a bad match these days, and uh, I think he's actually quite an underrated worker. So you know, he he did what he had to do um, and closed the match out well with all the super, Superman punches. He had quite a few of them to throw, and uh, you know, delivered delivered him perfectly. Yeah, agreed, a hundred percent. I mean. For as critical as I've been about Roman Reigns, and I've, I've said this before uh, on this podcast and my other podcast, I can't criticize his work. I can criticize the way his character is presented, um, which really isn't a criticism of him as a man either because he's just, be, he's just doing what he's been told. Um, but uh, his work, I think, has been getting better and better. 
Uh, all right, so let's just move right on to the main event then. Uh, the two winners of these Fatal 4-Way matches would meet, and the winner of that would go on to face Seth Rollins at SummerSlam for the WWE Intergalactic Heavyweight Championship. That's what it's called, right? <laughs> universal even. Oh, universal. Okay, WWE Galaxy title. All right, so uh, Finn Balor. <laughs> universal. Yeah, universal. At least they called it one name on this show, and like the three or four or five, they called it the next night for the other title. But anyway. Can, can you imagine being in the writers meeting, being in the production meeting, probably earlier in the day when the decision was made that they were going to call this thing the universal title? I would have killed to be a fly on the wall just to see the reactions on people's faces when they heard that name. Yes, um, <laughs> I think a lot of people would have um, done really well to um, show that they weren't cringing, but were cringing on the inside because you know that was um, not the kind of name I probably would have come up with. So that's my only criticism of this show. Um, it was it wasn't the best name they could have come up with. It, I guess. You know, the obvious name for it would have been the World Heavyweight Championship. But again, because they wanted to enter a new era and come up with new things, they felt they couldn't come up with an old name uh, for the Raw brand's uh, main title. So the Universal Championship is what made it. So if that's what made it, I dread to think what ended up on the cutting room floor. Well, I'm actually hearing from sources that based on the fact that there will be two titles, uh, at the top of the male divisions that they are developing a second women's championship as well for SmackDown, and they are going to call it the WWE Miss Universe. Well, better than the Divas Championship, I guess. Um, that, that was a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. That's, that, that will not be happening. Oh, God. Yeah, I thought you were serious then. <laughs> oh, no. uh, um, well, that's that's good. Um because, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's plenty of different types of names they can come up with. And, uh, you know, the Universal Championship in a nutshell is one I wouldn't have come up with. Um, well, I would have come up with it, but I would have dismissed it within half a second. But uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll get used to it. And, you know, if it's an impressive-looking belt, then, uh, you know, we'll probably won't mind the fact that it's, it's got a, fit, a bit of a silly name to it. But. You know, that's what I've said, too, is I'm going to completely reserve judgment on this. Um, until I see what the title looks like. If the title's badass, I'm going to be okay with it. You know, it's like I've said before, when you think of in the annals of WWE history, some of the more significant titles, the European Championship doesn't exactly come to mind. But the European title belt was an awesome looking belt. Like it's one of the coolest belts I think they've ever made. So because of that, like when people ask, well, what's your favorite title? It's one of the first ones I think of. So, um, you know, if the Universal Championship has a terrible name, but it looks badass, well, then I'm just going to have to go with it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, so, but, uh, all right, well, let's move on then to uh, Finn Balor versus Roman Reigns in what could be described as one of the more shocking moments in the history of the company, at least in my opinion. When you were going into this thing, did you honestly believe that Finn Balor was going to defeat Roman Reigns, Mo? No way. No chance. I didn't expect that at all. Um, you know, Finn Balor actually looked slightly nervous at the start of the show. Um, and uh, he also looked a little bit emotional as well. Um, his eyes started to tear up because I think it hit him that after all this time, after such a long career, and he has had a very long career actually, and he was celebrating his 35th birthday and uh, the night of Raw, um, you know, it hit him that, okay, I finally made it. And to think that 
on one night he was propelled into the spot of number one contender um, effectively for the Universal Championship, albeit it's a vacant championship and he'll compete against Seth Rollins. It was almost made out as if, you know, he is the challenger to Seth Rollins. Um, but, um, yeah, it was an amazing night for him and he got over fantastically well and on top of that entered, you know, two great performances in in both matches. So it was a knockout night for him and uh, less so for Roman Reigns. Um, but again, credit to the WWE because that was a very brave thing for them to do, um, to bring somebody up from NXT and in one night make him uh, one half of the uh, uh, one of the main events for SummerSlam um, opposite Seth Rollins for the Universal Championship. So, you know, that was brave and bold, um, but I think it paid off. I think it paid off big time, and they they only have one well, they only have one thing left to do, uh, and I you know I I can't predict that this is going to happen quite yet, but I can tell you what I'd like to see, and this is coming from a Seth Rollins guy. I want Finn Balor to win that title at SummerSlam. The time has come for them to go all in on a star that has an organic following and support from the crowd, and that's Finn Balor. And if Finn Balor defeats Seth Rollins and wins that title in his third victory, potentially, on the main roster, I'm sure he'll have a couple of other matches, but his third big victory on the main roster since arriving, he wins the Universal Championship. That instantly makes the guy for life, in my opinion. Oh, it certainly will. Um, and that would be an amazing, amazing um you know, moment for him, but for the WWE as well, because, you know, if the WWE moves into a position where they're doing or willing to do something like this, then, you know, that's a real um, landmark moment for the company in terms of the way it books, the way it brings talent through. And, um, you know, it's certainly going to be exciting for everyone in the developmental system. You know, even the people that we don't see on NXT TV and those that are coming through who we might not see on TV for another year or so because they can think, okay, this could be me. You know, if I have a good run in NXT and I end up on the main roster and the company likes me, you know, who knows, I could become champion. And the other great thing about it for them is, um, obviously, the, if you're the champion, you're going to be making some good money. And, uh, you know, the way things are being set up for Finn Balor, you know, he's going to uh, start earning some serious, serious money now. And he deserves it because he's worked fantastically hard. You know, he's been one of the great workers in the business for a number of years now. And, you know, he seemed like a very, very likable person by all accounts as well. So, you know, I'm very, very pleased and glad for uh, my fellow European Finn Balor. Yeah, and no one can ever accuse him of not paying his dues because anybody that's been following the career of Fergal Devitt knows damn well that he's paid his dues more than almost anybody. Uh, just the decade in itself that he spent in Japan is reason enough for him to be in this position right now. So congratulations to him. And I really feel like it's only the beginning. So um, with that being said, I think we both can agree based on our earlier review of this Monday Night Raw that this was an A-plus show, Mo, right? Oh, yeah. You couldn't grade it anything else. Um, you know, it was almost universally accepted as being a fantastic Raw. And, I mean, good luck to that writing team. Um, not not to even exceed it, but just to even match it because it was so good. You know, great wrestling, great storytelling, great um, everything. I mean, let's not forget, 
it was a uh, debut also of uh, Corey Graves on commentary, and he had a great night as well. You right. know, and that that's almost forgotten about because there were so many other plus points to this show. Um, but I thought he uh, made a big, big difference to the commentary and also to the whole feel of the show. So, you know, well done to him. Uh, and again, well done to WWE for making the decision to call him up to their flagship show. So, so again, thumbs up, you know, in every single respect um, other than the name of that um, title. But, you know, we, we'll get over it. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, um, you know, you bring up Corey Graves, and that that is an excellent point because I think not only did Corey Graves – uh, really bring it on Monday night. I thought he made Michael Cole a better commentator as well. Uh, and, and I know other people have talked about this and agree with this position too, that uh, JBL really was hurting that commentating team. And uh, we found out just how badly he was hurting it when we got to SmackDown, where SmackDown Live makes its debut. And we have Mauro Ronaldo, We have John Bradshaw Layfield. And we have the brand new David Otunga to the commentating team, moving up from the pre-show to this. Now, any show that has Mauro Ronaldo on it, whether it's combat sports or pro wrestling, you have to imagine that's going to be a, dyna a dynamite commentary team. But I felt at times on this show that JBL was the one that was doing play-by-play. -play. The guy talks over the announcers, he's obnoxious, and he's unprofessional. And, I mean, this is coming from a guy that's been doing this now for about five years. I mean, if, if I had a color guy, who was doing that on my team, there's a good chance that during the break, I'd probably tell the producer, one of us has got to go. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He, he, the problem with JBL is I, th I think he commentates to entertain himself and uh, not really focus on putting the talent over, putting the storylines over, um, or to protect his fellow colleagues um, at the commentary booth as well, which is important because if the audience listens to the commentators and think that the commentators have no credibility and what they have, what they have to say can't be taken seriously, um, then that, that's not good for the product full stop. And, you know, that's the kind of situation that JBL creates. And we saw that on Raw when he was on there. And, you know, in one night we saw that on SmackDown. I, I think he didn't mesh at all well with uh, Mara and Allo. And as we've seen on the Cruiserweight Classic, um, the work he's been doing on there with Daniel Bryan has been fantastic. And even the work he had been doing on SmackDown in the months previous to that, since he uh, replaced uh, your friend Rich Brennan, um, uh, you know, again, had been, you know, on the whole, very, very good as well. Um, so he'd been a breath of fresh air. And, you know, he, that breath of fresh air, unfortunately, was stunk out of the building because, um, you know, we had JBL there. And even on Sunday night on Battleground, you know, he was referencing a rugby player, which 99.99% of viewers would have no idea who he is, but he did it just for his own amusement. Yeah. And that's JBL, you know, self-indulgent commentary. I've heard him on Raw before, referencing Luis Suarez. Now, that made yeah. me happy. I was like, oh, JBL made a, a Luis Suarez reference. But as a commentator myself, I thought about that, and I said, well, I would never do that because my audience is a wrestling fan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? So come on here. Like, what, what, what is going on? And that's what I mean. Is uh, and, 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 you know, to further illustrate your point and agree with you 100%, 
Um, JBL's doing this, I think, sometimes just to entertain himself, and that hurts the product, and that is going to hurt and hinder the SmackDown commentating team. He needs to get out of Ronaldo's way. Mauro Ronaldo is the lead commentator over there. Shane McMahon has gone on the record saying that SmackDown Live is going to be an in-ring product first show, and if that's the case and you're going to present this as a legitimate competition, then you need Mar Ronaldo to be able to do his job. And you can't have JBL stepping all over him. And you can't have David Otunga, a Harvard-educated guy, by the way, just sit out there to be another punching bag for JBL, just like the way Saxton was on Raw. If you do that, it's going to hurt the show. Yes, it will. That's right. And uh, now I hope the WWE can recognize this because um, – you know, if, if they uh, persist with him, then, um, you know, he single-handedly can cause a lot of damage to, um, you know, the um, entertainment value of the show itself. So, you know, they, they, you know, they've got people on the sidelines who can step in and immediately improve the product. You know, they've got Booker T, they've got Jerry Lawler, uh, and I'm sure that, you know, even others, I mean, even somebody like um, – uh, the, the former Albert, um, who's now a trainer, obviously in NXT. Um, you know, he on NXT commentary a couple of years ago, I thought was actually pretty good as well. Um, so even he could come in and do that kind of role and do it a lot better than JBL can. Yeah, agreed, a hundred percent. All right, well, let's get off the commentating table and get back into the ring. Uh, SmackDown Live began Tuesday night live on the USA Network with Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan doing a walking and talking segment. It looked like as if uh, Aaron Sorkin had written this thing. Uh, They come walking out to the ring. The show starts, and um, then they announce a six-pack challenge match. And the winner of this is going to be moving on to face Dean Ambrose for the WWE title. Or is it the WWE World title? Or is it the WWE World Heavyweight title? Or is it the undisputed WWE title? Which one is it, Mo? <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. Um, each of those different names are mentioned on several occasions. And, uh, you know, it, it just baffles me that um, obviously they were calling it the WWE World Heavyweight Championship up until um, about four, five, six weeks ago, at which point, or out of the blue and with no explanation, it was being referred to as the WWE Championship. Um, But that's obviously created confusion. And it seems like nobody sent out a memo to anyone to say, okay, guys and girls, this is what we call that title. So until that is clarified, we're going to have it continue to be called several different things um, on SmackDown and on the SmackDown exclusive um, pay-per-view starting with Backlash next month. Uh, sorry, in September. So um, yeah, let, you know WWE creative or whoever's in charge sort it out quickly. Otherwise, it's cause a, a lot of confusion for viewers and um, you know a lot of viewers can be quite easily confused anyway so keep it simple guys yeah i was confused because when they announced the six-pack challenge match i actually went to my fridge um and i thought <laughs> you know, this was this was an invitation to start drinking which i did and <laughs> uh, and I, I needed it for the becky lynch and natalia match well yes um yeah, not not one of the highlights of those three days uh, was that match, but uh, yeah, ominous for that women's division, and again, perhaps just hammered home the point that splitting the women's division up into two wasn't the smartest idea, um, especially when you saw all the SmackDown women come out for that really 
poor, terrible segment, capped off by what, a, Eva Marie. Um, no, that that segment wasn't that terrible, Mo. Let's 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 talk for just a minute about what Eva Marie brings to the table. Now, I don't know what she brings to the table in the ring, but I know what she brings to the table when she walks out looking like that. I mean, this, wow. Wow, I got to tell you that 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 right there to me, and this this may tell you where I'm headed with my review of the show. Eva Marie for me was the highlight of SmackDown Live. <laughs> um, she certainly you you failed to not pay attention to her the way she was looking. Um, I, I imagine your your learning colleague Brad Gilmore was quite impressed as well. Oh, um, he said he said she was wearing red, and I said. She was she was wearing something. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, uh, has has she replaced here uh, Nikki Bella in terms of the affections of Brad Gilmore? Uh, you know what? I can't speak for Brad um, in that department. I'm sure that Nikki still uh, has you know holds a special place in his heart. But I got to tell you, Eva Marie holds a special place in my mind. After coming out looking like that on Tuesday, that was uh, spectacular. But uh, in all seriousness, I have to agree. Alexa Bliss, Naomi, Carmella, and Eve Marie in the ring. Not very impressive for the women's division on SmackDown, especially after we saw uh, Natalia and Becky Lynch put on what I thought was a pretty a pretty average or underwhelming match, uh, you could say. So there's a lot of work to be done there. And the other question that I have as well is, are they going to create a second women's division? Because otherwise, how are these women going to compete with the likes of Charlotte, Sasha Banks, Nia Jax, and the other ones that are going to find themselves or do find themselves on Raw? Well, that's right. I mean, if you cast your mind back several years, before they introduced the Divas Championship and they had um, two titles for a time um, across the women's division when we had the brand extension, um, I think it was a SmackDown roster that had no women's championship. Um, so at that point, um, for the women's roster, or the Divas roster as it was then called on SmackDown, um, it seemed like there was no real purpose to it without a title. Um, so hopefully WWE will recognize that and decide to um, have a championship. But, um, you know, given how weak that roster is, um, you know, it, it's it's really going to struggle as a division. And when they decide to call Bailey up, she has to be drafted to SmackDown. Um, because if they don't, then, um, you know, this division will just die a, a terrible death. Um, and, and the only highlight of it will be um, seeing Eva Marie come out to the ring every week. And, and that'll be it because nobody will want to see the wrestling. Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing comes down to at the end of the day, not just with the women's division, you take the tag team division as well. Um, what's the point of having stars compete on an exclusive brand when what they're competing for is nothing other than trading wins and losses between each other? Uh, which is why, as I stated from the very beginning, they have now opened the inevitable Pandora's box by creating a second WWE championship because now you almost inevitably have to have a tag team division and a women's championship as well. Uh, on SmackDown. If you don't do it, then you just have people that are trading wins and losses between each other and saying, well, I have more wins than you. You've got to have a title for those divisions. Well, that's right. You know, titles give purpose to, you know, any of these divisions and uh, you know, really are the focal point of, you know, all the stories, the angles, the feuds. I mean, it's what everyone competes for ultimately and without a title, um, 
then there's virtually no purpose to having these divisions in the first place. So, you know, they'd be mad not to have these titles. And I was a bit surprised, actually, that for both the tag team and the women's divisions on SmackDown, uh, there was no mention made of any titles. But I, I, I'm, I'd be very surprised if, you know, beyond the next couple of weeks, we don't hear something. Yeah, I agree. And I think they're 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 saving those announcements for some of these future SmackDowns. We didn't even see American Alpha on this edition of SmackDown. They'll be debuting next week, uh, which I think when that happens, there'll be more of an emphasis on the tag team division. And perhaps maybe that'll be a good time for them to say, hey, we're going to put some tag team titles um, on this brand as well. Um, uh, Randy Orton defeated The Miz in an impromptu match after Miz TV um, had Randy Orton on as a guest. And uh, there's a new hashtag trending, hashtag Viperville. And as Randy Orton pointed out on Battleground, no enhancement needed. Ouch. Shot at Brock Lesnar right there. <laughs> very good. Very good. Um, and actually quite interesting that they were even allowing that line to go out there. Um, but uh, and, and knowing how sensitive Brock was about um, things being put out there without his approval, um, if you think back to Ariel Helwani and UFC 199, um, and I'm sure they had to go through Brock to get that line cleared. Um, so he must have allowed it, I'm sure. Otherwise, he'd probably throw his drop and say, okay, I'm not going to turn up at SummerSlam. Um, but yeah, it, it was good. Um, it was good to see Randy back. Um, he showed a bit more personality and um, charisma than he normally does. Um, and in fact, even um, two nights prior to that at Battleground in his um, segment with Jericho, again, you know, showed some good personality and uh, seemed like he was really happy to be back. Uh, once he took his top off, he, he, he was actually looking... Um, quite soft physique-wise. Um, normally we see him quite ripped, and uh, that di didn't appear to be the case. Albeit um, he was he was bigger than he normally is as well. Um, so um, you know, a different-looking Randy Orton, but um, a welcome Randy Orton because you know he's you know one of the well-established stars in the company, and he's still one of the very best performers the WWE has. And you know, for a SmackDown roster that isn't brimming full of you know top stars um they de definitely need randy around so good to see him back yeah and you know what randy orton seems to have i don't know i like i like the the fun randy orton i guess is what i'm trying to say is that this is sort of a new lease on randy orton he doesn't care as much He's going out there, and he's just sort of winging it. He's saying, oh, hey, we have these lines for you, Randy. And he says, well, you know, we can take those lines and stick them up your ass because I'm not going to use them out there. I'm going to be authentic. And the fans seem to um, seem to respond to it. So it's, it's, a, it's a great thing. It's fun. I'm looking forward to the match that he's going to have with Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam, which brings up the elephant in the room when it comes to Brock Lesnar, and that is that WWE has addressed his status for SummerSlam, and they have reported officially that despite the fact that Brock Lesnar failed two tests after UFC 200 conducted by the USADA, that Brock Lesnar will be eligible to compete at SummerSlam because Brock Lesnar is a part-time athlete in WWE and therefore the wellness policy doesn't apply to him. Well, this is the first that I've heard of this, Mo. I don't know if they just recently changed this rule or if it's always been that way. There's a lot of polarized opinion on this. What's yours? Well, it just proves the point that uh, the wellness policy is a joke. 
Uh, it's not, I mean, look, if you look around at the WWE roster and you look at some of the talent that are there who are full-time, by the way, and if you're telling me that that roster is completely clean and there is no use of physique-enhancing drugs or any other types of supplements, um, then, you know, you are extremely naive, extremely, extremely naive because, you know, I can tell you, uh, you know, in my view that, you know, there is still a healthy amount of use of things which uh, would certainly pop a positive test if they were being tested under USADA or WADA or any of the more reputable um, testing regimes. Um you know, it, it's it's very disappointing, and it does it just makes the WWE look quite poor. Actually, that they don't take testing seriously, um, because if anything, they should have used this to say we'll review our policy and we'll look to make it more stringent, rather than to excuse it and say, well, you know, it doesn't apply to part timers. Um, and you know, if you're wondering why you know Triple H can turn up to WrestleMania each year looking the way he does. Um, you know, when he's approaching his late 40s, then, you know, there's your answer. He's or part-time. Dwayne, or Dwayne Johnson, for that matter. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. He, um, that's even more impressive. for me time and time again that apparently, as a man, when you get older, you naturally become bigger and stronger. I am really looking forward to my 40s. <laughs> and more ripped as well. Yes. Yeah, it's um, a great time. So, you know, when they say life begins at 40, then <laughs> they really wrong. <laughs> yeah. They really mean it. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing. Before we get into the six-pack challenge regarding SmackDown, SmackDown had a lot of subtle changes to it as well. Uh, they brought back the all-blue ropes. The show was shot differently. Um, there was an emphasis on getting the fans inside the ring more on SmackDown. I saw a lot of close-up, a lot of close-up hard camera shots that, in my opinion, even though I understood what they were trying to do, I thought it made the show look smaller. This is already a show that has a smaller roster than Raw. It has an hour less, um, and many people are looking at it as the B-show because historically it's always been the B-show. And then on top of that, most of the major stars, with the exception of John Cena, um, and perhaps you could make an argument for, uh, for AJ Styles and Dean Ambrose since he's the champion, most of them are on Raw. So why are you shooting the show to make it look smaller, to make it appear smaller? Because that's the impression that I got. I mean, I felt at times like I was watching Shotgun Saturday Night instead of a show that was filmed in front of sixteen or 17,000 people in Buffalo, New York. Did you pick up on any of this? Yes, I did, yes. Um, they seemed like they, by trying to shoot it in a different way, um, they wanted to make heavy use of the, I think they call it a crane camera. Um, and, um, you know, that, that that was a, that almost seemed to be the main camera that they were shooting the show on. And, you know, that camera was hovering pretty much above the front row, you know, sitting ringside. And, you know, when you're shooting it from that close, um, it certainly does make it look smaller. And, uh, you know, I thought that was the wrong thing to do. I mean, I agree that they need to try and make it look different to Raw. But if, if it was me, I would have actually placed the hard cam directly opposite the entrance. Um, so that way it looks different to Raw, where the camera is always um, side on to the main entrance. So, you know, when you look at Raw 
um, the entrance is either to the left or to the right. It's not straight ahead. Whereas if SmackDown went with that kind of approach, then it would you know, look different because we don't see that on WWE TV. And yet it will still help with making the show look big and the, you know, getting the full size of the arena into the camera view. Um, but they didn't, they didn't uh, want to do that. And, uh, you know, that, that, that was slightly, slightly off-putting. But again, you know, it's something we might get used to. And if anything, you know, WWE might look at it and say, yeah, you know what? It didn't look ta- that great. Let's just go back to the main hard cam and uh, stick to that instead. Yeah, I mean, well, we'll see. I mean, they, they, WWE doesn't like to make adjustments. At least that's what I've seen from the way they've been presenting Roman. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. So we'll see. Um, okay, the six-pack challenge. At this point, my six-pack was empty. I had started on a second just so I could get through this show. It was for the number one contender spot, and it included John Cena, AJ Styles, Dolph Ziggler, Baron Corbin was in this thing as well. Um, and uh, who am I missing? There were two other ones. I don't have it here in front of me. Apollo Crews. Apollo Crews. Um, AJ number- Styles. Yes, got him. Uh, Baron Dolph, John yeah. Cena. John Cena, but there was one other one. Or did Bray, we get Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt, that's it. Of course, how the hell could I forget Bray? I'm sorry, Bray fans. <laughs> and I'll tell you, you know what? Surprising, I forgot that because I had Bray Wyatt winning this match. So did I. I did as well. Um, you know, I was um, in conversation with um, uh, one of our listeners. I can't remember actually who off the top of my head, but, um, you know, we were both speculating that it could be Bray that will win um, a match on SmackDown to become the number one contender for Dean Ambrose's um, title, whatever it's called, this hour or this week. And, um you know they they would compete one another against one another at SummerSlam, um, but that didn't happen, which I was actually a bit disappointed about because you know even though Ambrose and White have faced before, uh, certainly within the last year, um, uh, singles Bray White with a, perhaps a different look or a slightly different side to his character uh, could still make it very interesting and fresh type of um, matchup going into SummerSlam. Um, but, you know, they decided to, again, surprise everyone. And uh, it was Dolph Ziggler that he made victorious. Yeah, and here's the thing about that, is that if this had happened in 2011, I would have been really excited about it. But Dolph Ziggler, what, what is the story that you tell with Dolph Ziggler here? What is the story that you tell that you haven't been trying to tell with Dolph Ziggler for the last five years? Many people forget as well, Dolph Ziggler's been in the company now for over 10 years. So when Dolph Ziggler cuts a promo and says, it's my time, it's my time. And I say to myself, but you've been telling us this for a decade. So, I mean, at what point will it actually be your time? And this time it's for real. I'm not buying it. I'm not believing in it. And Dolph Ziggler took too many high-profile losses along the way in the last few years for him to be in a position or a spot like this where he is perceived as a legitimate threat to Dean Ambrose. The only thing that could freshen up that approach at this point is if Dolph Ziggler experienced some sort of heel turn and there was a different presentation of him. But even that I don't think would be enough to interest me in this match. I think they'll have a great match between each other because they're both fantastic workers and Dolph Ziggler is a world-class seller. But Dean Ambrose doesn't need to work with a world-class seller. He needs to work with a real threat to build him as a babyface champion. That threat is Bray Wyatt. It's not Dolph Ziggler. 
Yeah, I agree completely. And, you know, if anything, the outcome of this match illustrated the um, concerns that we had about the draft from last week because the outcome of that draft certainly seemed like a big win for Raw and SmackDown certainly emerged you know, as a distant second because um, they clearly ended up with a far fewer number of the top stars um, from the company ending up on that brand. And if you look at the brand, the only guys you can say, you know, are genuine top stars are Cena, Orton, and arguably AJ Styles. And that's it. And, you know, that's why they were left in a position where, you know, they could have gone with, Cena or Orton, but obviously Orton had already been um, announced as competing against Brock Lesnar um, or perhaps AJ Styles. Um, but, you know, it looks like they might, might want to go with Cena and AJ again uh, for SummerSlam possibly. So by default almost, they've ended up with um, Dolph Ziggler. And, uh, yeah, it seems completely out of the blue because for mo- most of this year, and certainly for the last several years, he's been very much a, a mid-card act and um, certainly star seemed to be on the wane. And, you know, we'd even speculate that his time in the company might be coming to an end in the next year or two, uh, albeit he's a talented guy and he's still only 36. He's only one year um, older than, um, you know, Finn Balor. But, uh, you know, he's, he's done so much in the company and, um in some ways, he's so overexposed and, you know, we've seen everything that we can see from him. Um, you know, it'd be very difficult for the company, I think, to actually make them really care about Dolph Ziggler as a challenger and a viable potential future WWE champion. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, and if you look at this from from, a, from the, the brand split and the result of this, look at how quickly your WWE championship can be devalued. This is a title that many months ago featured Triple H and Roman Reigns in the main event picture. A guy who is a future Hall of Famer in Triple H and a guy who WWE had been working a year and a half, no, not even longer longer than that, since 2012, let's put it that way, because he had never taken a clean loss since FCW at that point. Since 2012, you build this guy to be the future of your company. The future of your company versus a guy that could potentially be on your Mount Rushmore. And it goes from those two to SummerSlam's WWE title match being Dean Ambrose versus Dolph Ziggler. Dean Ambrose, a guy that did the job to Brock Lesnar fairly easily at WrestleMania. I'm a Dean Ambrose fan, don't get me wrong. But if you want to build Dean Ambrose, you have to put him in there with either a real threat or a real star. Dolph Ziggler is neither, and the title will instantly be devalued by making decisions like this. Well, that's right. You know, they have to be very careful how they book um, across both brands now because the talent pool has been spread uh, certainly thinner um, by splitting the brand, uh, you know, the sorry, the roster into two. And, uh, you know, we saw... Um, examples of that during the previous brand extension when, you know, people who really had no right being in the title picture um, 
were ending up in world title feuds or programs because you know of how depleted the rosters were especially on the smackdown side towards the end of the brand extension um so wwe needs to guard against that and i think one of the ways they can do that is by simply bringing more talent in to the uh, smackdown side because you know when we saw the start of the show and all of the roster were on the ring apron at the start it just really rung home that they are really thin on the ground when it comes to genuine talent and um, you know they need to add a good couple of women and at least half a dozen um, male performers. And the fact that Shelton Benjamin was announced um, is fine, but then when Rhino emerged um, as a surprise later in the show, um, then that really got me worried because it might, it might get a slight pop um, on week one, but you know, four weeks in, nobody's going to care about Rhino because WWE fan base stopped caring about him back in 2003. So in 2016, um, for him to still be on TV uh, it is worrying. No, it is indeed, especially when uh, you have Shinsuke Nakamura and Samoa Joe still sitting down in NXT, a place that you call your developmental brand and neither one of them need developing at all. So in an exchange for drafting them and putting them on SmackDown, a show that you yourself have admitted Shane McMahon is going to be focused on in-ring product, you replace a potential Shinsuke Nakamura or Samoa Joe choice with Rhino. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me at all, and I think it is a bad omen for the future of the brand. But um, like I said, I'm going to reserve judgment just like I will on the Intergalactic Championship until I see what it looks like. <laughs> so with that being said, Mo, we gave Battleground a solid B+. We both agreed that Monday Night Raw was an A++++. Now it's time for our letter grade on SmackDown Live, the inaugural edition. What do you think of this overall? What do you give it? Well, uh, there are disappointing aspects to the show, obviously, and we've talked about those. But on the whole, um, I thought it was still a, a pretty decent show, uh, almost bordering on a good show. And um, compare it to um, the SmackDowns we've been seeing over the last, you know, not only several months, but several years, it was certainly a big improvement. So I'd actually go with um, a generous B- minus for this. Okay, well, I have to disagree just a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I, I have to give SmackDown A for effort. There, there, definitely there was effort that was put into this, but um, that's where I think the positive aspects stop because there were a lot of missed opportunities. I didn't like the way part of the show was structured in that you're going into your main event and then you go into a long commercial spot break right as the main event's about to start. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. You have Randy Orton returning and wrestling in the ring for the first time in over nine months, and you don't promote it ahead of time. That, to me, was a missed opportunity as well for SmackDown. Um, like I said, I had issues with the way that the show was shot. You could clearly see that this roster is in desperate need of more talent and more established stars, which it doesn't have right now. And so because of that, I have to give the show a C-. minus. Um, that's where I'm at with it right now. Um, um, I'd almost go to a D, but I'd say that I have to give an A for effort on this thing, so it kind of balances out a little bit. So you're on the B minus, I'm on the C minus, and now we're going to move on to some of our Twitter questions from the listeners for the show. And we appreciate everybody for contributing as you do each and every week. 
And if you'd like to get your question or comment on the program, you can tweet at us anytime at PW underscore index. So the first question comes from a regular listener of the show. It's Ike at Illini Hockey 3. And Ike says, Raw has no top face with Roman falling out of favor. Do we see a double turn at SummerSlam where Seth goes face and Balor goes heel? He was a much more natural heel in Japan and could recreate the Bullet Slash Balor Club with Gallows and Anderson. So what do you think about that, Mo? Does Ike have a point, and do you see that happening? I mean, it's certainly possible that might want to go in that direction. Um, And, you know, it's one of the things that we talked about when Seth Rollins returned, that, you know, he really should have been brought in as a face, um, given the whole, you know, circumstances behind his... um, Know, six, seven months out of the company. Um, and obviously the uh, special they did for the network, which really made him come across like a big baby face. Um, the fact that they brought him in then as a heel uh, was certainly bizarre. And uh, I think he'd actually get over fantastic well as a baby face. Um, but I thought Finn Balor actually came across like a really good face um on the show and i mean we've seen that he can be a very good heel as well um but you know they booked him as a strong face throughout nxt and um you know he's certainly a big crowd favorite so even if they turn him heel i'm not convinced that you know the fans will start to boo him and um you know, again, they, they've got enough of a struggle trying to um fight with their fans over roman reigns i don't want to i don't expect them to try and start another fight with him over Finn Balor. So I don't see a double turn. Uh, If anything, I I think that um, Finn Balor will stay as a face and um, they'll perhaps look to do something a bit more with Sami Zayn in terms of making more prominent on the face side as well. And, uh, you know, they've got some, um, you know, strong heels there with um, Seth Rollins if he stays as a a heel and um, also Kevin Owens and, you know, then it all just depends on where they want to go with Roman Reigns. And, um, you know, I, I think they've got a, a reasonably healthy split at the moment. So I don't see um, a big issue in terms of the face side. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I don't see, um, first of all, it can't be stated enough how significant the decision was by WWE to put Finn Balor over clean on Roman Reigns. Um, even though Roman is coming off of this suspension and may be in this punishment period or it may be part of his redemption and comeback story, the bottom line is this. Uh, Finn Balor defeating a guy that had only been defeated twice before clean ever in WWE since 2012 is a major indication to me that WWE has massive plans for Finn Balor. And because of that, I have to think that you must include Finn Balor immediately as a top face on Monday Night Raw. He is a top superstar in their eyes, and they're going to continue to present him as such. I don't expect Finn Balor to be losing a match anytime soon before SummerSlam after defeating Roman Reigns on Monday Night Raw, which is all the more reason why I think he will end up defeating Seth Rollins at SummerSlam as well. And then you have your top face with the title on Monday Night Raw. Um, next up, we have a question from David Cresswell at Parrot, F-Y-A-C-E, on Twitter. David is a regular listener of the show as well. Thanks for your question. He says, after another epic match between Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens at Battleground, can you see them main eventing WrestleMania one day? 
Absolutely, David. 100% I can see them main eventing WrestleMania someday. Kevin Owens, by virtue of his talent alone, um, is somebody that is going to rise to the top. The cream always rises to the top, and you can't prevent Kevin Owens from rising to the main event picture sometime in the not-too-distant future because of his incredible talent, charisma, and his ability both in the ring and on the microphone. And the same is true when it comes to in-ring ability of Sami Zayn. And these two have incredible chemistry. They've had a great rivalry together. And as they've stated time and time again, they're destined to do this forever. So why not do it in the main event of WrestleMania? Yeah, I agree again. Um, you know, they talk about how, you know, the feud was to end, but it, it will not end. Um, you know, these guys will be going at it when they're 60 years old on the independent scene. Um, you know, I'm sure of that. So, you know, WrestleMania would be the absolutely ideal pinnacle for that program. Um, maybe not to end, but certainly to hit its highest note because, you know, these are truly exceptional workers and, um, you know, inevitable that one or both will become world champions or universal champions, I should say, in the future. And when one of or both of them does, um, I'm sure defending it against the other um, at WrestleMania would be something that they'll be certainly begging or clamoring creative to uh, make happen and to become a reality. And if it does, it would be, I'm sure, uh, a match for the ages. Yeah, absolutely. And once they split these bland, these excuse me, blands, once they split these brands up a few more times, um, you never know. You could have a title for every planet. I mean, if we've got the Universal Championship, perhaps Saturn will have its own title. Um, the third rock from the sun, heavyweight championship. I mean, think of the possibilities here. You'd have to imagine both of them would be carrying one of those planetary titles, Mo. Yeah, absolutely. What what title would even Marie carry, though? Oh, man. She could carry any title she wanted to. <laughs> I would put it around her waist as well. Um, our next question comes from Nick Turner at Nick Turner 13 on Twitter. This is a great question. Mo Chatra, are you going to be buying some real bootios? <laughs> um, yeah, well, they my, make sure my, you're not booty. Yeah, uh, well, I'm glad to say I'm, I'm not um, too short in that department anyway. Um, you know, I can compete with all members of the New Day in that respect. Um, but, yeah, you can never not have enough BTO. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think, you know, my philosophy in life is to try everything once. So why not try some BTOs? And if I like it, I might just stick to it. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Well, um, I, I've already ordered my BTOs, and they're on the way, Nick Turner. So I um, appreciate your question. Uh, thanks to everybody uh, for listening to the program, as always, for supporting the show, sending your questions and comments. Like I said, you can do it anytime by tweeting at the show at PW underscore index on Twitter. It's now time for the shameless plugs. Mo, what do you have going on over there? Are you going to see any shows anytime soon? Anything you'd like to recommend? 
I haven't got any shows lined up for um, the next two or three weeks, but uh, I've been watching some um, independent wrestling from the United States and uh, promotion out in the Midwest, in, in around the Chicago area, called AAW, um, which has got some you know, very fine talents. And I watched a match, uh, which I tweeted about, um, this week uh, between Trevor Lee, who's um, a star on NXT, against the former WWE NXT star, um, Chris Hero, um, who used to be known, I think, as Cassius or Classius Ono. And uh, they had one of the most incredible matches you'll ever see. I'm not exaggerating. It was just, you know, a, a genuine match of the year contender. It was so incredible. And, um, you know, the, the commentary from Dave Prazak and um, I think his name's Phil Colvin was, you know, just a treat. It was, you know, as good an independent match as you'll ever see. And, you know, if you can track that match down, it's well worth tracking down because, you know, it was it was one of the best matches of, of this year, certainly. And, um, you know, very, very few that I've seen this year that have been any better. Man, that's a, a ringing endorsement right there. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. Um, fantastic. Well, listen, um, I have a big announcement to make. Before I do that, I want to shout something out as well. Um, right now, if you go on YouTube, you can find episode 120 of Reality of Wrestling. It's our 120th episode, which is available right now. Uh, you have to check it out. It is a spectacular, spectacular show. I think the best one that we've had to date. Um, and in addition to that, it also features a performance by a member of the Cruiserweight Classic, Arya Davari, who uh, brings his magic carpet out for that show. Uh, it's great. Reality of Wrestling is, is really moving along. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be a part of it. And I just wanted to take the time to plug it on this show again for anybody that's unfamiliar or hasn't seen Reality of Wrestling before. Because right now, uh, the production value, the wrestling, everything about it is um it, it really i think in, encompasses and captures encapsulates if you will the the real passion of some of our performers um including uh former nfl star brennan williams who uh was the showgun of the row on reality of wrestling he has now been signed by wwe so um congratulations to brennan as well that announcement was made recently on the dirt sheet so i'm not breaking any news or anything like that but um uh, you know, it's just it's a really cool time to be a part of independent wrestling, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, uh, because as you stated, Mo, there's a lot of great independent wrestling out there right now. And it's good to see that WWE is embracing a lot of it and showcasing it. And they're certainly doing it with the Cruiserweight Classic as well. Well, absolutely. That's right. And um, now just on the subject of the Cruiserweight Classic, um, one of the individuals that we've, you know, Brad and I have both talked about and mentioned it various points you know in the last nearly one year since we've been doing this is one Zack Sabre Jr. from here in the United Kingdom and uh, he's arguably the best technical wrestler there is and uh, he makes his WWE debut on the network um, on this week's episode of the Cruiserweight Classic. So if you're wondering what some of the hype is about, um, he'll give you a small taste of what he can do um, in his um, match this week on the Cruiserweight Classic. So if you have the chance, I certainly urge you to check him out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that's, a, that's definitely a recommendation I can agree with right there. Um, the other thing I want to say very quickly is I have a cool announcement. I've been teasing it for a couple weeks. I can announce it now. Um, courtesy of my friends at Dunkin' Donuts and Liverpool Football Club, I am on my way tomorrow. I'm catching a plane. 
I'm on my way to San Francisco, California, and I will be attending all of the events and covering the events, including the match between Liverpool and AC Milan this Saturday night, live from Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California. Uh, I am stoked about this opportunity. And I'm going to be sharing everything that I'll be doing. I'll be attending Legends events, VIP lunches, press conferences, uh, open practices, the game itself. You name it, I'll be there for it. And I'll be posting all of it on Twitter and on my Instagram. Uh, my Instagram account is TPTopolsky. And obviously, you can find me on Twitter at Matt Topolsky. And the other thing that's really exciting about it is I will be meeting up with Gags in San Francisco. So I'm looking forward to finally meeting the architect of AI. And um, Nina as well, Nina Kosa, um, I believe she's out there as well. So, yes, I'm and having her buy me a drink. <laughs> and Armando Angulo as well, um, one of our um, previous guests here on the Pro Wrestling Index. So, uh, yeah, half of uh, the Anfield Index uh, alumnus seem to be out there. So, enjoy the game, and um, you know, certainly uh, make sure you get some free donuts as well. Uh, might as well make the most of that opportunity. Absolutely, but well Lunch done for everybody. I'm Absolutely. So um, anyway, that's the big announcement. Uh, I'm excited about it, and uh, I can't wait to share my adventure with everybody. So Mo, as always, a great pleasure. Another fantastic show in the books. And we will be back next week to talk more WWE and pro wrestling right here on the Pro Wrestling Index, only on the Anfield Index Podcast Network. like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 